Dr. Payne is here. Dr. Lou is in studio for the next hour answering your phone calls. Okay, Thanksgiving's done. The turkey leftovers are all through. Now it's back to regularly scheduled business. So uh, taking your calls, of course, 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell. Bring them on. You got pains, you got aches, you got treatment, not sure where to go, where it's coming from, where to be. Uh, Dr. Lou is here to answer all of your questions and pain care, uh, pardon me, info at paincarecanada.com. You want to toss us an email as well. So uh, what happened this week? Anything interesting? Got to be. Yeah, there's always something right. interesting every week. Um, this week I had a, a male patient who came in um, for about the last six months has been having upper right quadrant pain, which is in the abdomen. So kind Good. of below the left pec. Um, and so in that area, anatomically, the biggest thing to consider is the liver is in that area. And patient obviously had already been to the family doctor Mm -hmm. uh, for this. The family doctor thought this is probably something liver related. Uh, Drinks a little bit. That's another thing you would worry about with with this type of history. He does does have his occasional alcohol, but not an alcoholic by any means. So no big red flags. He is middle-aged, so you start to wonder a little bit more. Um, And so he's having this upper right quadrant pain. Uh, The doctor believes it's probably something related to the liver. Does every test that you can imagine for the liver, uh, including ultrasound to take a look at Mm -hmm. it, uh, full blood work, looking at all the liver enzymes, everything comes back fine. They start to investigate further, go into MRI just to make sure, look at surrounding tissues, gallbladder, pancreas, et cetera, et cetera. Healthy as a horse, no issues whatsoever. Uh, Comes in to see me because he's heard us talk about the referral pain. Yes component of what we've talked about. Um, And so I saw him and and sure enough, I did my thorough history. I also examined his abdomen and I examined his liver because there's some physical exams that you can do to actually palpate the liver. And again, there was nothing that was alarming that was setting off any issues for me. And I, so I started to think of, okay, well, what are the other musculoskeletal right. components in that area? And one thing that often gets overlooked because it's underneath the liver is the diaphragm, which is a muscle that helps you breathe, which is mm-hmm. kind of underneath uh, your lungs. And as soon as I could get under there and palpate that muscle, he jumped through the roof. No kidding. Yeah. And he says, that's exactly the pain that I've, I've been suffering with and I can't get rid of it. And so then I started to talk to him a little bit more about when it would come on and when he... Uh, feels it and doesn't feel it. And another thing that was pointed me towards the musculoskeletal issue is a lot of the pain is when he's lifting and doing things because he has a physical type job. So anyways, long story short is we end up treating his diaphragm. So there's different types of relief techniques that you can do for the diaphragm. We treat his diaphragm and within one treatment is 80% better. Okay. And I've already seen him one other time. And so likely when I see him next week, he'll probably be 100% better. And that was something that he had been living with for uh, six months and couldn't figure it out. But all because uh, no one stopped to think that, okay, well, if there's no um, you know serious cause to the pain, then there must be a musculoskeletal component mm-hmm. to the pain. And that's the important thing in assessing pain is you have to rule out the very serious things. There's a cardiologist that I know that will actually uh, send and a family doctor does the same things because a lot of the times you can get angina, which is chest pain related mm-hmm. to the heart. Um, that's not actually related to the heart. Sometimes it's just musculoskeletal in nature coming from a rib. So these doctors, when they know that they've ruled out any cardiovascular component, will send it off to me once they're certain it's probably MSK because they want someone who can deal with the musculoskeletal component and deal with it well. Can it go the other way? Yeah, absolutely. Um one thing that similar to since we're talking about the liver and the gallbladder in that area of the body, uh, there was a patient that I had a few months ago, I guess at this point, uh, who came in for right shoulder pain, okay. top of the shoulder. I assessed the shoulder. I 
in speaking to the person, I thought it was probably a rotator cuff issue. Assess the shoulder in the physical exam. Nothing that I could do could provoke the pain. The, the key with the physical exam component is you're trying to provoke the pain that the people are complaining of. Yeah, and does this hurt? Does this hurt? Does this that's hurt? Right. right. No yeah. matter which way I moved it, no matter what orthopedic test I did, no matter where I poked in the joint, whatever, nothing elicited the pain. And so one of the other things with right shoulder issues is that the gallbladder can actually refer pain to the right shoulder and not necessarily <laughs> <is> in, crazy. <laughs> not necessarily in the crazy. gallbladder. And so once I was certain that there wasn't an MSK component to the shoulder, I did an abdominal exam. And as soon as I started palpating in that area and I kind of got to where the, uh, the gallbladder was and I poked, uh, person almost jumped off the bed again. And so sent them off to, I suggested the family doctor, they wanted to go see the emergency room because they just thought it would be too long to yeah. get in. And turns out after they uh, they were there and had the appropriate test, just tons of gallstones had to end up getting their gallbladder removed and totally fine now. So yeah, I can go the other way as well. So what what is the link between an organ like a gallbladder and then re running right up to your shoulder? How does that even work? Yeah, again, it all comes back to uh, the referred pain and this the way that I explained a couple of segments ago is there's only limited amount of nerves that come out of our spinal cord. And at every level where one comes out, it tends to go to different areas of the body. And it doesn't necessarily just go to something that's a muscle or a joint or stay consistent to that. Sometimes it also go into the visceral component, which could be an organ. So if there's a shared ner nerve path between an organ and some type of uh, mechanical structure like the shoulder, well, then if there's problems at either end of that nerve, you can get that referred pain. That's it's and that must be all of it. It kind of goes back to what you were talking about last week with the the acupuncture. I mean, you, you get a yep. needle in your ankle, all of a sudden your you know your jaw feels better. Yeah, it's really exactly. weird. Yeah, that traditional Chinese approach to acupuncture for sure is is very similar in that regard. That there's areas um, that just seem to neurologically correspond. Yeah, we got uh, lots more coming up. Your phone calls. We got phone lines wide open four one six eight seven zero sixty four hundred star six forty on cell. You got questions, concerns. Dr. Payne is in studio till 1 o'clock this afternoon. It's the Dr. Payne Show on Talk Radio, AM 640. 12-12 on Saturday afternoon. You have physical concerns, maybe a diagnosis you're not sure of, can't uh, can't understand it. Maybe you haven't been diagnosed yet. You need a quick opinion. You want some uh, questions answered, give us a call here at the station. Dr. Lou is here until 1 o'clock this afternoon. And outside of the show, if you need to get a hold of him, no problem, one 855 doctor Lou. That's D-R-L-O-U. Dr. Lou would be the uh, would be the number there. Let's talk about, uh, you know, discussing, well, the importance of uh, treating acute injuries, not just, you know, letting them heal on their own, which is a lot of people choose to do, right? Yeah, and I think that is easier understood when you can meet somebody and actually talk to somebody who has chronic pain. Because chronic pain ends up being something that was likely acute in the beginning, didn't get treated the right way or got dismissed mm -hmm. and becomes chronic. And when you meet a person with chronic pain, you tend to see how bad this can be, like how bad chronic pain is. It really is a disease. And it, it's, again, this going back to how subjective pain is versus an objective measure. And um, you, when you can really divulge into that person's life, you can see how many aspects of that person's life it affects. And it's sad every time I see it. I've seen thousands now. And every time I see it, I'm still brokenhearted to see what these people are going through. And oftentimes these injuries are due to some acute injury that happened that didn't get treated the right way. And so as a population, and our bodies inherently mm -hmm. have an ability to help to heal themselves. So it's not, you know, out of uncommon to think that people think, okay, well, it's not that big of a deal. Let it heal on its own. And then it is what it is. But I would say that, you know, if after three to five days, 
something's not feeling somewhat better, that's the acute point where you should say, okay, let me get someone to really take a look at this and get it treated the right way. Because a lot of times the body is faulty in that it can help things heal, but it may necess not necessarily heal it in a way that's uh, conductive for living into the future, okay. right? So once it starts to lay down too much scar tissue or it lays down scar tissue in a haphazard manner that's the wrong way and doesn't allow that muscle to slide the right way anymore, et cetera, et cetera, this can really affect the function and the pain levels of that area going forward, and that's a big problem. So say you get someone who's much more long-term started as you know acute pain at one point. Now we're three, five, ten years in. Now it's chronic pain. Now it's, you know, this thing's consumed my life for a decade. Mm -hmm. I don't see any light at the end of the tunnel. How do you begin breaking down that callus? Yeah, that's where you're targeting the person's... This, one of the things I like to do with my patients is really sit down and, again, uh, have a comprehensive examination with them, which includes a comprehensive history and a comprehensive physical exam. And in that history, and then after I'm done those two things, I go through a plan of management. So I, I could be spending anywhere in that first interaction with a patient an hour to an hour and a half. The last component, the plan of management, is where I essentially suggest what it's going to take for you to potentially get better or get better than where you are. And once you get that type of person where they they don't see that light at the end of the tunnel, that's a lot of where what I have to do comes down to education and advice and change, trying to change their way of thinking. Now, again, I'm not a psychologist and it's not my job to, to do these things, but that doesn't mean that I can't make the suggestions for people to realize, because I've said it to you before, when you have that type of thought process, you're now contributing it to yourself. If you're thinking like that, all you're doing is making yourself worse. You have to be able to say, okay, what can we do here? You have to be willing to open up and accept um, how you go forward. One of my first clinicians, and I think I've said this on the air before when I was a student, the first thing that he ever talked to, uh, talked to us about uh, our, his group of uh, students was don't try to help someone more than they want to help themselves. Right. And, and that's a big component. And this is why a lot of uh, healthcare professionals become jaded because they try to do so much to help people. And it's, and it's oftentimes hard and people don't actually want to go through with what's being recommended. And you end up caring more than the person who should be caring does. And so I try to take that approach where I try to make people understand you need to care about yourself because if you don't care about yourself, who's going to care more yeah, about I yourself? I can't help you if you're yeah. not willing to. If you're not willing to work at it, if you're not willing to help me help you, then how, how can we go through this? So uh, you really, really have to start breaking down that barrier, which comes down to a lot of education and advice. And this is, again, one of the reasons why I want to be on the phone, uh, on the radio, having this conversation with people for them to hear this, because this is not something that's often talked about in healthcare. And people need to hear this. There has to be a component where people listening right now that have been suffering say, I need to make the difference. It's the same as people who want to lose weight. The biggest distinguishing factor is you want to or you don't want to. Because everyone that you I've ever met. You can say you want to, yeah. but, you know, proof's in the pudding, son. Well, the, exactly. Right? And, and words are words, but actions yep. to me have always spoken louder than words. So it's when you can use your actions, and that's always going to speak louder than words for sure. 416-870-6400, star 640 on sale. Could take your calls. Got lines open. You want to talk to uh, Dr. Lou, you can do so. This is another one kind of leads into that and the topic of, you know, patients constantly self-diagnosis, and they're sometimes unresponsive to, to health care, right? Yeah. 
well, it's dangerous self-diagnosis, especially with all the resources that we have, which mm. again, pros and cons. I think having the resources is great because a lot of the times after I'm done with a patient, I'll recommend some good resources that are readily accessible through the internet for right. people to take a look at. But I think there's a problem when people just type in a symptom and look at what it could potentially be because they don't understand all the signs and symptoms that a patient presents with. One of the worst things that I uh, have to try to get over with is if I help a woman, for example, with shoulder pain and whatever the root, root cause of that person's shoulder pain is, and then they meet someone else that has shoulder pain, they'll say, go see Dr. Lou because he, uh, he helped my shoulder pain and your shoulder pain is the same. No, it's not. There's uh, dozens right. of different things that can help that could be wrong in that shoulder. And I, I appreciate the referrals, but I always want, and, and the first conversation I have in that instinct where the person says, yeah, you know, Susie referred me and she said, you, you helped her shoulder pain and mine's exactly the same. I always say, well, we don't know that for sure. And I hope that I can have the same outcome, right. but let's take a look at it because there's different causes and you can't be self-diagnosing or understand because a little knowledge is a dangerous thing, especially when it comes to healthcare. 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell uh, Austin in Toronto. Hi, Austin. How are you? Hello, Austin. Hi. Hey, you got a question for Dr. Lou? Go ahead. Uh, yes, I do. Um, I've got an ongoing uh, shoulder pain problem, and I just kind of like caught the end of what you were saying. There could be multiple causes for this. Uh, mine started with my right shoulder blade about three, four years ago, and I spent a lot of time driving or riding my motorcycle or on the computer, so I kind of figured, um, you know, People who are on the computer a lot, they get this upper back problems. So mine started as a uh, right shoulder blade, and then eventually moved into my shoulder joint and then into my arm. It was really bizarre. It took a long time um, going to chiropractors, tense machines, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, that sort of have sort of like gone away. But now I actually have a shoulder, uh, problem on my left shoulder uh, joint. Okay. And that's been going on for a couple of years, and I've literally stopped going to the gym because there's nothing in the gym I could do mm-hmm. uh, with the, the pain I have in the shoulder joints. Right. Have you had any treatment for that left shoulder similar to the treatment you had for the right shoulder? Uh, no, no, I haven't. Um, my GP says uh, he made me lift my arms up forward, do some series of exercises, and he said, he said it's an impingement. Right. So again, the the biggest thing I would say here is you've kind of said it yourself already that on that right shoulder where you had an issue, you got some treatment and that got better. But now on this left shoulder, there's an issue. You went to see your GP said there's an impingement. An impingement is something that needs some type of therapy in order to heal. So it sounds like that's what's missing, that if you're not doing any type of therapy to help that impingement to change uh, the dynamics in that shoulder, well, then that's only going to keep going, especially with the types of things that you're doing uh, in your day activities of daily living, like sitting at a desk, uh, riding a motorcycle. If you're not doing anything to change the mechanics or remove that irritation, that once upon a time acute issue is going to start to become chronic. And as it becomes chronic, it's only going to be harder and harder to deal with. So I would say that if you haven't had any care done for it yet, then you should definitely try to get some care. Again, that's something that we can also help you my team of uh, at paincarecanada.com. For sure, there's ways that we can uh, take a look at that and figure out what's going on and help you out. And Austin, you can uh, write this number down for you as well. one 855 doctor Lou. More of your phone calls coming here. Dr. Pain Show continues. Talk Radio AM 640. 
1224, Dr. Payne Show, 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell. And uh, welcome, Maggie. How are you? Oh, hi. I'm good. How are you? Good. You got a uh, question for Dr. Lou? Just a quick one. I've been suffering with carpal tunnel for over a decade, more than a decade, probably more like 15 years. And um, it's now going into my elbow and my shoulder. And I'm just curious, does that mean I really need the surgery or is there anything else I can do? So, uh, Maggie, who originally diagnosed, like, were you diagnosed with carpal yes, tunnel? Yes, with a neurologist. A neurologist diagnosed you with carpal tunnel. And now what did you do to actually treat the carpal tunnel syndrome? So originally, 15 years back, we had the braces for me and, and they did work for six months every night. I had to wear them. Mm-hmm. Then it went away, it got better. And then over time, I developed love for knitting and crochet. I'm sorry, say <laughs> that last came, part again. Sorry, I became in love with knitting. And okay. so it came back with a vengeance and it's just been getting worse and worse. I do wear my braces, mm-hmm. but I just find I would literally have to wear them 24 hours in order not to have any numbness. Or, right. But it's the pain now. Like it, it just, it's, I find it's getting, yeah. it's in my shoulder now, literally. R- right. So one of the things with uh, like the misconceptions that's around carpal tunnel we use that term and what the carpal tunnel really is, is a tunnel That's within a structure, the... structure. Yeah, right? it's a structure within the wrist where a branch of the median nerve passes. And yeah. if there's something going on in that tunnel, you start to get what's called a median nerve neuropathy. Now, the median nerve doesn't just start at the carpal tunnel. It actually starts up in your neck. So oh. it, it makes a lot of sense that you may still have the same types of symptoms that are common with a carpal tunnel syndrome, which is a an impingement of the median nerve at the wrist. But what's happening now maybe is you have an impingement somewhere else in that median nerve along the way, either at the elbow or under pec minor or in right. uh, or the scalene muscle. So there's different structures that if they push oh. on that nerve can cause those same types of symptoms. And it gotcha. sounds like what's going on is probably... I mean, I can't tell speaking right. to you over right. Um, right. Uh, over the radio exactly where that impingement is, but just the fact that you're saying now it's at the elbow, it's at the shoulders, what you probably have going on is there's multiple structures that uh, are probably tight impinging on that nerve, giving right. similar symptoms to mm-hmm. what carpal tunnel which would give, gotcha. which is numbness and tingling in the first three digits. Mm-hmm. Right. So where do I go from here? <laughs> Uh, yeah. So again, uh, you would probably need someone to assess it properly to take a look at, okay, where exactly is that impingement happening? And likely it's not surgical. Um, and so again, this is where I would say, give us a call at the one eight five 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 doctor Lou number, and we can help set you up with someone because I see you're calling from Grimsby. Yes. So we have a provider network across uh, all of Southern Ontario, and we can help set you up with somebody that uh, I personally think will, will be well equipped to help you figure out oh. your problem and get it better. That's fantastic. Okay, Thank Maggie. You so much. So, what's the number again? 1 855 55 Dr. Lou. D R L O U. Dr. Lou. Gotcha. All right, Maggie, you're awesome. 416 870 6400 star 640 on cell. That's why the phone call pays off. There you go. <laughs> she got a little brighter at the end of that one. Uh, you wrote some notes here for me. This is interesting. And uh, I want to discuss this. And uh, please describe discuss pain for pleasure. Ooh. What are we, well, what are we yeah. moving in on here, boys? Leather, yeah. straps, what are we talking about on the Dr. Payne show? Well, no, I, I mean, the reason why I thought it, it's an interesting topic mm-hmm. is because it highlights the psychological aspect of pain, which okay. I try to talk about in order to get people to re, to understand that psychology plays into your pain. And so one of the ways to highlight how important psychology is in pain is when you look at people who have a fetish for pain. 
And so yeah, I don't have that fetish. I don't like. Yeah, pain. you no, don't no, have that fetish. No, I don't really have that fetish pain. either. Uh, and so, but there are people out there that, for sure, you know, do yeah. have a fetish for pain. And there's a psychological aspect where they enjoy that pain. Uh, and you know, what does that do to that type of person who's suffering from a shoulder injury and it never gets better? Right. Because you have a component there where you like it, right? Or maybe you're using it as a crutch. When I say pain for pleasure, I also talk about things like secondary gain. A lot of the times, I'll see people who, for example, might be off from work due to an injury. Uh, and one of the things I always start to talk to them about is what their job is like and how much they enjoy it. Mm -hmm. Because if someone doesn't enjoy their job, well, what's the incentive to go back to it? Right. And there's a lot of people out there. And so then there's a pleasure component to having that pain and using it as a crutch. And I also talk about oh. it, like I said, you know, in terms of a fetish. But, you know, I'm sure there's people out there listening right now who have uh, pain fetishes. Let's let's take those calls. I'd love to hear about it. It's, it's a very interesting topic. And understanding that component will also help us to understand the opposite. How do we use psychology to help diminish people's pain? If you have this 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 pain fetish uh, of which you speak, can you can it be dangerous? Say that again, John. Sorry. Well, can it be dangerous? I mean, you could be ignoring something that could be uh, could be pretty bad for you, even though you've got some yeah, sort of you know yeah for likeness sure. for it. Yeah, right? for sure. Well, pain is a warning bell, right? That's why it exists uh, for us. Is essentially to tell us that something's wrong. So I think pain is something that needs to be identified. It needs to be uh, made aware and, and you need to talk to somebody about it so that you can figure out that there's nothing life-threatening, right? Like that's mm -hmm. the big thing with pain is you want to make sure that it's telling you that there's something wrong. And a lot of the times it's even the first symptom for some of the most deadly things that could happen to us right. as humans. And so it's not something that should be ignored. Wide open lines. Give us a call. Yeah. If you're uh, into that sort of thing, or if you've had some sort of uh, uh, discussion or experience with it or any other topic for that matter here in the Dr. Payne Show, 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell. Got an email about uh, plantar fasciitis. We'll get to that after a short break as well. Talk radio, AM 640. 1232, Dr. Payne Show, 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell. Yeah, someone just uh, kind of wrote in quickly and before we get to a call, uh, describe and some details on plantar fasciitis. Um, yeah, and I see it says here, and some possible remedies for yeah. plantar fasciitis. So plantar fasciitis is a difficult one. We've talked about it before, uh, where it's essentially the the soft tissue at the bottom of the foot, and uh, your foot is supposed to spring when you walk. And so if you have some type of irritation or minor tearing in that area, it's very hard for it to heal. The, the hard thing about plantar fasciitis is that we need to walk all the time. So when we have something like an elbow injury or a hand injury, it's a lot easier to put a brace on it or mm -hmm. limit the movement. But as humans, when we have things happening to our feet, and not just plantar fasciitis, but any of the different types of things that can happen at the feet and the lower limb, it's a little bit more difficult because we need to use that even to walk around. I mean, even if you wanted to stay home and you still have to go into the kitchen or to the bathroom, you're you still going to have to do it. One of the biggest things that I'll recommend with plantar fasciitis is the worst thing you can do is if you've been sitting for a long time or mm -hmm. laying down for a long time, it's just get up and go. Really? Warm that tissue up because, because again, if there are little micro tears in there, you don't necessarily want to put all of your weight and gravity on it and cause uh, that tearing to expand. What you do want to do is warm that foot up, get those tissues loose, and then get going. That's one of the biggest recommendations with uh, plantar fasciitis. And how do you do that? Uh, you could just do it yourself, moving it around, right? Like you could have a ball. If you're sitting at the couch, have a tennis ball, roll your foot on top of it. It's keeping the tissues warm. Even a golf ball, if you've been in bed for a long period of time, you can kind of self-massage your foot, move it around, things like that. 
Okay. We'll get to a phone call here when they come through the line. 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell. Tommy, get it lined up for us, and we'll take that one. Uh, yeah, we're taking uh, anything you want to talk about as far as physio. You have pain. You're, uh, you're suffering pain. All of that. We'll, uh, we'll get to it. You got uh, Chris in Toronto. Hey, Chris, what's up? Hi. Uh, just a quick question. You talk about people that enjoy pain. What about self-harm cutters, people that cut themselves, and it's because of a sickness as opposed to an enjoyment right Right. yeah yeah for sure and and i think like that that definitely needs to be something distinguished where i'm talking about pain for pleasure i'm talking about fetishes and not necessarily about self-harming or cutting that now goes into you know suicidal things and and definitely i don't think necessarily uh those people are that are self-harming or cutting or doing it for pleasure but probably for something else going on uh and that's totally different than uh pain for pleasure but yeah chris you're absolutely right i think that's important to distinguish and that's not what we're talking about then we would never uh want anybody to be cutting themselves chiropractic versus physiotherapy sometimes you see them in the same clinic what's the uh what's the difference yeah it's uh the biggest difference, I guess, is one of the problems with this conversation is that it goes jurisdiction to jurisdiction. Mm-hmm. So the scope of practice for chiropractors and physiotherapists in Ontario is different than, say, in Manitoba or BC, or even if you go down into different uh parts of the U.S. So it goes province to province and state to state. Okay. Uh, scope of practice changes for every professional because as a professional, you're licensed by your province or your state. So a physician is licensed by the, the College of Physicians right. of Ontario, right? So uh, it goes down to that in Ontario. Since we're in Ontario, well, I'll speak specifically about that. The scopes of practice are pretty similar. The easiest way I explain it to people is that Chiropractic and physiotherapy are the names of professions. Uh, a lot of what they can do is very similar. So one of the things people will often get recommended for physical therapy, but doctors will just say physiotherapy. So they're right. recommending to a profession. Physical therapy and physiotherapy are different things. Physiotherapy is the name of a profession, whereas physical therapy is an intervention done. So physical therapy, uh, the same as uh, when you say chiropractic, for example, chiropractic is the name of a profession, but manipulation, which is often what chiropractors do, manipulation of the of the spine, is different. That is a different term. It just doesn't sound the same. So uh, it really comes down to um, you know what what it is that you need. There's different schoolings. I, I think it really comes down finding someone that you trust. And I know some great physiotherapists, and I know some very bad physiotherapists, and I know some great chiropractors, and I know some very bad chiropractors. Mm-hmm. So it really comes down to finding someone that you trust, uh, understanding the difference, and seeing how they treat because a lot of the things that they do are very similar and it kind of depends what you need. So uh, for example, let's say you just had ACL surgery and you need to do some rehabilitation. What's probably more important in that arena and in that scenario is not necessarily should it be a physio or a chiro, but do they have the right equipment to help rehabilitate an ACL? Uh, And so both a chiro and a physio clinic could have that. Um, And then also, you know, let's say you do have a back problem and someone's recommended spinal manipulative therapy, the adjustments for the back. Mm -hmm. Well, then someone who has more proficient training in that, like a chiropractor, is probably someone more beneficial to do that. Having said that, there are physiotherapists who have taken extra training who can do that same thing. So it's a very blurred line here in Ontario because of scope of practice. Very similar. The educational requirements uh, are a little bit longer for chiropractors. They're uh, classified as doctors here in Ontario. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, and, and most places around uh, 
the world wears physiotherapists or not. But in some places in the States, they do have doctors of physical therapy. So again, it goes based on jurisdiction to jurisdiction and, and finding the right person uh, that you feel confident with. Is there a lot of scope of injuries where you could go either way in treating, meaning that uh, both chiropractic and physical therapy could treat the same injury? Yes, absolutely. And one of the hardest things, again, because I try to have this conversation with people because people will say, oh, I've been told that I need chiropractic care or I need physiotherapy yeah, care. Time. You're just telling me the name of a profession. What type of care have you been recommended? So if a if an orthopedic surgeon, often the guys who deal with this stuff more like the orthopedic surgeons are a little bit smarter in their referrals and that they'll say, okay, I recommend that the person get rehabilitation, uh, electrical therapy and laser therapy. They're very specific about the modalities that they want versus the GPs are the ones that will just kind of say physiotherapy or chiropractic. And it's like, well, you're not specifying because each, both of those uh, people have a vast toolbox of different things that they can do. And again, this comes back to also the physiotherapist and the chiropractor. It's going to be their job to assess and make recommendations. But in a lot of instances, the the recommendations could be very similar. Another thing with when you're dealing with Ontario is insurance companies often will give um, a certain amount of coverage per professional. So it may say $500 of chiropractic for this year and 500 physio therapy. So uh, sometimes if people don't have, you know, disposable income and they want to utilize their benefits, they're they, switch over. they'll switch over. Yeah. And we do that a lot in the clinic where someone may be seeing, say, the chiropractor first and they their chiropractic coverage runs out and they'd love to keep seeing that person that they're used to seeing, but they understand that, you know, money's tough and that they have these benefits. So they want to utilize that if they still need the care. We don't do anything where we say use it anyways. It's, it's a matter of necessity. Totally. Do you need that care? And if so, then you know, well, the physiotherapist can continue with similar type of treatments and you'll still get the care. And we'll even go even further where sometimes there's coverage for acupuncture. So we'll get the acupuncturist involved. A lot of these paramedical professions uh, overlap in terms of the way that hmm. you can treat. We'll take a uh, short one, four, one, six, eight, seven, oh, 6400 star 640 on sale. You still got uh, lots of time to call through. If you have any questions, uh, physical therapy or otherwise, anything for, uh, for Dr. Lou, he's here to answer them right up until one o'clock in the Dr. Payne show talk radio AM 640. 12.43 here till 1 o'clock. Dr. Payne Show, Dr. Lou here to answer your questions. You can also email info at paincarecanada.com. Anthony, big brother, you got uh, you got an email you just, uh, just came through, yeah? We do have an email. Please share it with us. Bill, who's contacted us before, his history of uh, spontaneous pneumothorax in 2008. Okay, he yeah. says, eight years of misery, some good days, but some very unpredictable countless medications and he's been to a pain doctor who says who says uh, just about put him underground being a pill pusher mm -hmm. uh, his chief complaint more recently is i've got pain in my ribs on the left side which is now radiating into my back on the same side mm -hmm. it gets very sore at night in bed and wakes me up some mornings i find it hard to move and get up any idea where the back pain would be coming from yeah, and and we've I think Bill has emailed before he's even called in, and we've kind of discussed him with uh, with him a couple times on this. And this is where when there's this much chronicity uh, and that much of a psychological issue, uh, 
the pain could be coming from anywhere at this point. That's going to be very hard to try to pinpoint. Right. But the one thing in order that I even recommended to Bill about trying to help his pain is the psychological aspect, really targeting the cognitive behavior therapy tailored towards pain management, where you start to use techniques like distraction, where you stop thinking about it, where you also start to minimize the importance of it on in your life. It was actually interesting. I, I saw another patient this week, uh, a, a girl, and her mom came in and same thing, chronic issue, uh, and a lot of it, she was sitting, This it was classic. I could tell right away the, the psychological component to this little girl, and she didn't even realize it. I was speaking to her, and in speaking to her, I was kind of sitting uh, next to her, not, not in front of her, and she had her body turned towards me, talking to me about her issue. And then I got her to get up, and I said, okay, I'm going to just check some range of motion of your back. I want you to bend forward. And she's like, I'm not going to bend forward. Okay, well, you were sitting in a chair, which is bending your back right there. And then I said, okay, turn to your left. No, I can't turn. to. So she didn't want to do anything. And what that highlighted was something called fear avoidance behavior, where you have this, and this is where cognitive behavior therapy, what yep. they'll try to do is, what was her belief? Her belief was that I can't turn because it's going to hurt. Well, the reality is you were just sitting in a chair in a bent posture at the hips with a turn. So, and you were fine in that chair. Right. So you need to start changing the unsubstantiated beliefs that you have in your mind with factual information that says, okay, I can turn and I can bend and it's not painful. You can't just be afraid to do it. That fear avoidance hinders prognosis and it hinders the, uh, people's abilities to get better. And this is something that's not a physical problem. It needs to be identified from the psychological component where people need to start changing the way that they think about their pain. You obviously, and I've gone through CBT myself with uh, with a clinician. It's fascinating stuff. I mean, it takes time to work, and it, it's, it's like you said at the start of the show, you've got to dedicate yourself to it, and it does work. It doesn't involve pills most of the time. It's, it's great stuff. So in that regard, you obviously know people that, uh, that, that can treat people in that regard. Is it often CBT comes after they see you, or they come before? I think it depends on the specific case. There's times where it's in conjunction. There's times where it's after. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's sometimes where they don't even need me at all, right? Where there's no physical component whatsoever. They just need the CBT. So it really goes case to case where you need to look at that uh, and really see like someone like Bill, based on what I've heard that he's done all the other things, this is the type of case where the CBT and I, and again, I'll encourage Bill, give us a call. We'll help you find someone who can help you in that regard. Uh, so that that way you can actually get better because a lot of these things, when you've exhausted all the physical type of options, all the medications, the surgeries, et cetera, et cetera, the only thing left is the mind. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, and again, that's not to suggest that in doing that CBT, you're ever going to be 100% better. But I think most people that are suffering from extreme pain like this, what I've heard anyways from the patients that I've seen over my career is that they're very realistic. They come in and they say, listen, I'm not expecting to be pain-free forever. I would just love that if I could get, you know, two or three hours in the day where I could still enjoy a round of golf or I could play with my grandkids, uh, I'd be happy. And so that's a big thing that I speak with and that my team speaks with with our patients is realistic goals. What are your goals and what are the realistic goals that we can achieve with therapy? And therapy not meaning just physical, the whole encompassing therapy. Because again, if I believe someone needs surgery, they're going to go see a surgeon that I know that needs the mm -hmm. surgery. If they need medication, they'll be getting the medication. But what's important is that you have to look at this person. You have to highlight, okay, what is being done, what's not being done, and look at pain like 
you know, there's many ways to treat it and you have to target it a little bit from each of those components, especially when it's a chronic issue. 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell is the number. We spoke about this uh, a couple weeks ago. I want you to touch on it again, the importance or lack of importance of posture. Yeah. So one of, I'm a big believer. That's what is more important is, are there more optimal postures? For sure. There's things that are more optimal. Are they realistic for long-term? Probably not. So the example is, you know, you get a person who sits at a desk for work and they say, okay, I need good posture. I need a good chair that keeps me in a good posture. Well, you can have the best chair in the world that keeps you in the best posture, but if you don't get up and move around and be dynamic, you're still going to have pain because our bodies are built to move around and be dynamic. We need to let go. Once upon a time when people used to suffer from low back pain, the doctors would say, go home and lay in bed. And they found that the outcomes were worse and worse because these people were just laying down and the muscles were seizing up. And then once they were finally getting up to do anything, everything was going wrong. Now that never happens anymore. We recommend people, even in the first acute phases, to actually move around and do things because of how important it is. It has to be uh, structured and it doesn't necessarily need to be aggressive movements, but you need to move around. And the same thing goes with posture. Are there more ideal postures than not ideal postures? Absolutely. But the biggest thing and the easiest thing for people to remember is get up and move around and change what you're doing. Even if you've been walking, Mm -hmm. it's important to sit down then, right? So the opposite, it does, good posture doesn't just apply to No posture is the best posture. That's right. right. No posture being dynamic is the key. 416-870-6400, star 640 on sale. Got some uh, some more time. You want to call through, you have questions, uh, something physical going on in your body, you're not sure exactly what is happening. Maybe Dr. Lou can help you out on the Dr. Payne Show. We'll take your calls coming up after a short break. Talk Radio, AM 640. It is 12.53 here on the Dr. Payne Show. We'll take a uh, take a call. Christine, good afternoon. How are you? Hi, I'm great. How are you? Excellent. You got a uh, question for uh, for Dr. Lou? Go ahead. Yeah, I'll try to keep it short and to the point. I'm kind of long-winded, but uh, <laughs> yes, for the last four months, uh, on and off, uh, basically every day now, though, what's concerning me is both of my pinkies um, on my hands, obviously, um, from where I go to bend, I, I go to bend them from the knuckle down is, like, hurting me every morning. And what really concerned me more so than just that is uh, the other day I was trying to, like, take some dishes. I had, like, four plates, and I was trying to put them away in the cupboard, and I almost dropped them because, like, my my pinkies are starting to really hurt me. So okay. I just started wondering... What, I haven't gone to talk to nobody about this yet because I'm kind of got a bit of a bit of a pride issue being a mom of sure. two mm-hmm. and whatnot. <clears throat> but if you can help me point me in the right direction, then that'd be great. Yeah, can you tell me the the pain in the pinkies? Is it pain? Is it numbness and tingling? What can you des- weakness? Can you describe it a little bit uh, better? Okay, um, I guess weakness. Okay. Yes, and then in the mornings, obviously, it hurts the most. Yeah. and um, our. I'm going to say this wrong, a rheumatoidus arthritis runs on my mom's side of the family. Okay. And a couple of my aunts, like, start experiencing similar stuff um, in their, like, I'm 38 now, but in their 40s or whatnot. But yeah. I constantly use my, obviously, hands all the time, so... Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's there's multiple things. One of my questions would have been a history of any type of autoimmune disease like rheumatoid arthritis. So that's definitely uh, something that you'd want to rule out right away. Uh that it's not something that's rheumatoid in nature. Uh, The other potential is similar to the other uh, 
person that we had call about carpal tunnel, you can also get uh, the tunnel where the ulnar nerve passes uh, can get irritated and you can get these similar types of symptoms and the ulnar nerve, uh, the median nerve, which we spoke to the other person about, will refer into the first three digits, whereas the ulnar nerve will refer pain into the last two digits. So mm. uh, the ring finger and the pinky finger. So if when you're waking up, if you're feeling this stuff and the, the symptoms you're describing, like when you talk about weakness, that's more of a neurological symptom versus an autoimmune system. So I would lean more towards, it sounds like it's due to the nerve and the nerves probably being impinged because it's on both sides. I'm going to assume it's higher up, like in the neck, maybe you're sleeping the wrong way uh, or you've changed something recently and that's causing those nerves to get aggravated but christine uh like i said i think you're right you do need to get it looked at uh and i think the best place is um to you know again give us a call we have people up in barry i see you're calling from there that can help uh take a look at this for you and quickly figure out what's going on and get it treated the right way because definitely uh if it's been a little bit of time now you don't want it to keep going more than mm -hmm. it has to Thank you very much. No and I, I have been listening to the show uh, for the last actually two hours. And, and when that lady did call in about that, I, I, I'm sad for her, but like, I just like, I was getting to the root if anyone else had this because like, yeah, yeah it's getting to the point where it's ridiculous. And I'm, I have both of my kids natural. So if you know where I'm going, so something like this, I'm like, Oh, it'll just fix itself. Yeah, you know right. what I mean? But I'm, I'm not an idiot. Are, you, are your kids still young, Christine? Like, uh, Aliyah's five and Austin is 13. So. Are you holding the five-year-old a lot? Uh, no, no, no. Okay, because no. that may have been another, because that can help tense up the muscles and stuff. But I, I, I mean, I, it definitely sounds like it's more musculoskeletal in nature where probably some muscles impinging on the nerve. So again, we can definitely help you figure this out. And, you know, say we started the conversation this morning about the pride factor, and I get what you're saying as a mom, the natural births. But remember, this is for the benefit so that it doesn't become a chronic issue. Just get it taken a look at it. It's probably something that's not overly complicated to get better, and it'll make the world of a difference for you call this number uh christine we got a moment one 855 dr lou we got uh lauren hi lauren hi good afternoon hi. i'm so happy i've been able to get through to your show okay i've got a little problem uh my left hand mm -hmm. i'm having a little bit of numbness uh like from the pinky finger and the second pink finger mostly when i sleep at night if i should put my uh, my elbow onto my pillow and kind of thing and sleep um, I feel like if there's circulation cutting off in my finger, uh, the part of my hands from those two fingers, mm -hmm. um, what I have to do, I have to take it out and put it by my side straight, and I kind of feel a little relief from that. Yeah. So, so what's probably happening, similar to a couple of the callers that we've had now, is you're sleeping a certain way that you're probably putting pressure on on the nerve. And when you put pressure on the nerve, everyone's done this when there are kids sitting in an assembly hall watching something at school when you're sitting cross-legged and your leg goes numb. That's exactly pins the same. Pins and needles. Yeah, pins and needles. Yep. And, you know, the first thing that happens is it goes extremely numb. Then you'll start to get pins and needles. Then there's kind of a painful sensation and then you're fine. And so similar types of things can happen when you're laying sleeping and you're sleeping the mm -hmm. wrong way you got your arm a weird way the nerve gets impinged it cuts off the nerve supply it goes numb you wake up because your hand is numb yep. you move it it starts to get numbness and tingling and then all of a sudden it's better so there's probably again something going on in the way that you're sleeping there may also be depending on your life the things that you're doing a chronic muscle that's tight uh, that's just more more tight when you're sleeping. And again, this is where something, again, these are the very, very easy things to get looked at right away, get solved, doesn't become a chronic issue, and, and it's very easy to solve. Give us a call for sure. Okay, uh, one quick thing very 
very quick. Uh, yeah. Like, I can feel, like, if I were to play around my elbow area where, where the nerves and tendons run, I can yeah. feel that sensation in my finger as I, as I rubbed it a little bit. Yeah. And I can see the cutting off. Exactly. There's, there's components where the nerve passes through certain muscles, and you're probably touching the muscle or the nerve where it's getting impinged, and you're feeling the referral pain down the nerve. And so, that, again, you need to release that muscle probably, and that'll probably help the issue. So, yeah, give us a call. We can definitely help you out. Done for another week, my friend. Lots of information. You didn't get a call in. No problem. You can do it after the show. It's one 55 doctor Lou D-R-L-O-U. one 55 doctor Lou. Or email is info at paincarecanada.com. Till next week, and actually, no Monday, you're going to be on the Insurance and Injury Law Show with Savannah, so that's going to yeah, be pretty cool. That's right. So yeah. we'll catch you Monday before be next week. And he'll be on with us next week. Yeah, next week. Yeah. And look at you guys. Everyone's that's a big kumbaya moment <laughs> around here in 640 Toronto. <laughs> we'll get to more of that next week. Until then, this has been the Dr. Payne Show on Talk Radio, AM 640.